Welcome back, folks. The Black and Brown Get Down uh, is here again. And I can't front. Capitalism whooped my ass this week. I'm tired. How are you feeling, Joe? You know, I don't have my struggles, but hey, we almost at this finish line, so we're going to keep it. Right. Exactly. Tomorrow is Friday, which means today is Get Up Thursday. Um, but yeah, welcome back, Joe. Thank you, Mary. So I glad to be here. Have I know. I think you have our uh, putting you on segment. So talk to me. What are we doing? All right. So we're going to talk about Maya Moore. So for those of you who who don't know, Maya Moore recently married Jonathan Irons. Um, If you don't know the story, this is the individual that she's been working tirelessly to get out of prison uh, for the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, Mary, tell me what's your thoughts. Like one, one question in particular, like does Maya Moore invalidate or hinder the work that she's been doing with social justice and social reform by marrying the man she helped free this summer? Listen, first of all, salute to Maya Moore for taking time off. I mean, she was, uh, I mean, still is, you know, uh, at the prime of her game. Uh, I think, like, she was for sure a Hall of Famer, you know, on that path uh, and still is. But shout out for her for one saying, like, I'm going to step away from this thing I am top notch at, excellent at. To focus on my ministry work, to focus on my purpose work, um, it just so happens my sis, her fro- her ministry work was also <laughs> uh, Brother Irons. Right, <laughs> um, right, rooted in love. Right, and so... <laughs> I mean, you know, and she married him. She helped to uh, get him released. You know, I'm also kind of getting um, uh, Monica C. Murder vibes there. Uh, but it's, to me, because Maya met this person when she was 18. Uh, and this person had gotten 15 years or 50 years um to life and I just or, or like 50 years which is life um shit that's just too much but she did her thing one both on sort of this reform piece and her family had already been fighting his fight um, prior to so I mean does it like invalidate her work hell no not to me to me everyone is so deserving of love you know both um love and sort of the most general beautiful you know what some folks would say agape love and but also just some like dope ass romantic love i'm here for it um i think i think everyone whether you are in prison or not are deserving of love um now Am I going to, you know, hold somebody down? I mean, apparently the brother had um, proposed while he was incarcerated. Uh, I mean, it couldn't be me, but (laughs) 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 it couldn't be me, but I'm here for it. Listen, and he's out and they're living their life and they'll probably be able to get a bunch of philanthropic money to sort of do this work. I think it's great. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I'm right there with you. I think, you know, when people first hear it, it's kind of like that natural knee jerk like wait what what is going on but when you start taking a deeper dive nothing that she did it can be discredited she took a step like you mentioned away from her platform to fight for injustices now whether it's that's for somebody that she just kind of met in passing or she chose to you know fall in love with this man that's her business and it, it shouldn't discredit any of the other work that she's been doing she's this is somebody who has been working um to oh you know, right even before that the system right yeah. since she was at least 18 um and she right. got involved in things through um, the prison you know, ministry right, yes exactly. for the prison ministry yeah so they actually <laughs> met in in uh supposedly in 2007 um so i can only imagine you know, you know the kind of conversations and then you know her finding out that um he was wrongfully uh convicted of a crime it's kind of yeah. like how do you not when bonding with somebody, how do you not establish like a friendship or a better understanding of what they're going through? And, you know, it kind of just blossomed into what it is. So, right. Yeah, she said it was we? clear what was happening in their heart. Right. Right. I said, Go who ahead. My girl. Judge? 
Exactly. Right. Well, I mean, in terms of judging, I I will tell you that a lot of people are, I mean, I just want to quickly talk about other folks real quick, just because the tea is too good. Mm. Uh, Cardi filed for a divorce from Offset. That Mm. shit broke my heart. Thoughts? Mine too. Uh, oh, okay, well. I was gonna say no thoughts. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's kind of like you you already messed up one time, Offset, and she and she took you back after some hard work. Like you were in front of her begging, begging, yeah. begging, begging that you wouldn't do it again. And ain't enough you know, Birkin I, bags for me, right? I think I think we um, as people just kind of get lost with the idea of oh no, they're celebrities. They'll just work that out, or this is just how they are. But no, people are are people at the end of the day and she has feelings too so if you know she stepped into this marriage thinking that he was going to be faithful and not you know chase you know some sort of facade or whatever i don't know what's going on with the brother but at the end of the day nobody really wants to be cheated on especially if that's not what you wanted going through the start a relationship so yeah more power to her um hopefully they can at least still be friends especially for the for their child like right and co-parent lord you mm-hmm. already know we're gonna have some co-parenting uh i hope we don't see any of it on the shade room or on the ground because mm-hmm. uh at the end of the day we really have to protect our children from that type of stuff you know Definitely. there are so many things that uh children get exposed to in these co-parenting situations that a lot of it stems from a cheating ass man like offset <laughs> so um <laughs> <laughs> like all of our all of our listeners who are cheating asses um are gonna be upset but don't be upset just you know hold up for it um i mean the uh, so one person who did stay with their man after a very scandalous very public um uh, situation uh, was R.J. Gillum. R.J. Gillum, who's married to Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum, who ran for the governor um, uh, in the state of Florida and should be the governor, uh, would be doing a much better job than who is currently in office. Um, yeah, they just went on the um, Tamron Hall show this week, and Andrew Gillum came out. If y'all remember, I guess it was two years ago or a year ago or something, a little over About a year ago. ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we saw these pictures of Andrew um, after losing the election um, in a hotel room. There was a you know, allegedly an escort involved. There was drugs. There was all sorts of things that were um, in, yeah, very clearly in that picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Andrew Gillum, you know, he came on the show and one had this like super redemptive moment of saying like, yeah, that's who I, like, that was me in that moment. I didn't recognize myself. And guess what? While I hear you asking and also not directly asking me, um, yes, that was a man who was in that, you know, um, right. And guess what? I'm bisexual. So um, there it is. And RJ's like, yeah, I knew about it, but it was between us and it wasn't public. And Mm -hmm. now this thing, you know, this life we were living is very public. So, um, you know, shout out to them. Shout out to you know um being able to reconcile differences especially on that kind of level um yeah. but then also Ooh, shout out to andrew for brutal. you know coming out and coming to terms with his own sexuality um when you know a lot of people on that platform when you're some sort of when you know when you're a politician it's kind of like oh no i don't want to put my business out there i can't right and because we live in this uh world that says if you are a bisexual man like that's that's not who could lead your state as a governor or that's the case right right. yeah and uh and he's saying you know i don't know if i'm gonna come back and be in uh political office um but if i wanted to guess what i could and Mm -hmm. you know um I actually didn't see the full interview. I saw some of the recaps. And what I can tell you is he does not look ready. Uh, he didn't look ready for the interview to, for me. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, yeah. it took so much courage. It took so much love. RJ and Andrew, we love you. And it just seemed a little premature in that um, 
yes, they're ready to tell their story, but it's, uh, you could just still see the hurt and the pain and, you know, that stuff takes time, but I hope he's not trying to like jump the gun, you know, uh, in trying to support some of the democratic, um, you know, work and elections that are happening in this country before November. I just, you know, I wish him the best. I hope he takes care of himself and RJ. Um, uh, RJ is a beast. I love her. I think she is great. Um, and it takes a lot to hold a situation like this down. So definitely, best of luck definitely. to them. Yeah, definitely. And I'm wishing them all the peace that they need to, you know, overcome what they're facing right now, uh, especially for those babies. Cause I'm sure with them being in school, things have been said. So I'm just hoping that that family can just come to come to terms and have the peace that they need to do so. Um, yeah. yeah. And for everyone else, either you working on decolonizing your mind uh, or mind the damn business that pays you, uh, which right. is not Andrew and RJ Gillum. So there's right. that on that. Period. <laughs> we are going to jump right into our Black Love Brown Pride segment today. We are super, super excited to have Crystal Sims. Cameron with us. Uh, she, and I mean, she is many things. I've, you know, we had to press record because we have been chatting and it's, uh, it's gotten good. So let's get straight to it. She is, uh, helped to create, uh, them people production with her husband, Nate Cameron Jr., who is also a tour manager for Tank and the Bangas. Uh, shout out to Tank and the Bangas. Uh, they create events, uh, with the objective of bringing, um, black and brown folks together, queer folks, LBGTQ plus um, folks and other groups uh, to have fun and really just like vibe and have fellowship together. Uh, Everything from Liberations Lounge in Algiers to Bitches Brew in Cincinnati, Ohio, which I love Cincinnati. We just finished talking about that Uh, with also just having this deeper purpose of using art to inform and uplift people and to create space and and to be able to experience back black joy as an act of resistance, revolution, and a source of healing. Um, she is also, she's a home gardener and has launched For the Horticulture, uh, a project that helps black women in New Orleans start home gardens. With For the Horticulture, she is restoring the culture of backyard growing with black families in New Orleans in order to cultivate resilience in communities most impacted by food insecurity and food-related health disparities. So we are excited to have her and to welcome her with um, us today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I feel very welcome. And I'm also listening like, did I, I did all that? I don't wonder I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? Global pandemic, oh, like get some rest. Oh, is. <laughs> uh, I mean, we wanted to just jump right in. And uh, it seems like a lot of the work that you do is about building community and mm-hmm. being able to build this here and now for us in all of these different cities. So I'm just curious curious to know a little bit about what's your earliest memory of community and um, whose spirit do you bring to this work? Oh, wow. Um, so when I think about my earliest memories of community, two things automatically pop in my, my, in my head. Um, the first being my church community. Uh, when I was growing up, very involved in church, um, you know, all of, all of the, all of the vacation Bible schools, all yes. of the the youth revivals. I did the welcome at every single youth facing event at church um, and was in ministry training for a while. And even though I don't, I'm not actively um, religious anymore, that community coming together and the way that we saw each other and supported each other and that that space gave us the ability to sort of just be ourselves and sort of um, create a little bit more strength and resilience to go back into the Monday through Friday world every week. I think that that was a huge influence on a lot that I've done. Um, I guess the closest, like the most specific influence being the black coffee Sunday that we 
um, would do for Them People Productions because that was always just like, I need still, even though I'm not going to church, I need that day where we get together and we're, we're singing with each other, we're laughing with each other, we're sharing stories with one another, we're lifting each other up. And then I can go back, you know, to my nine to five where I'm surrounded by people who are not like me, who don't think like me, who aren't responding to the news stories that I'm responding to the same way, feeling those emotional pushes and pulls. So that was always really important to me and it stays with me. Um, And I think the second community that is the most impactful for me was my community of artists. I grew up being in theater, being one of the, um, you know, musical nerds, speech and debate. I met my husband actually, speech and debate. And having a group of people who were willing to be foolish with one another, right? Like not afraid to make mistakes in front of each other, not afraid to try on different versions of yourself and to stretch yourself and to see who else you could be and what else you could do in front of those folks. There was really a lot of vulnerability there and a lot of growth there. And so I think I take those two things with me um, everywhere I go and I try to recreate those feelings everywhere I go because those things were so imperative to kind of, you know, saving my sanity a lot of times along the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if there's like a specific person who uh, you see in both of those spaces. So for the, my artistic community, the person that, wow, I haven't seen this person's face in my mind for years. Um, But my mentor and my coach, Mr. Morris Block was, we used to, we would follow him around like ducklings and call Mm -hmm. him dad on speech and debate trips. And he was just the kind of person who let you be yourself. And, you know, when you're in the, when you're a young person in specifically in like the theater arts, there's a lot of kids who feel like they don't fit in anywhere else. Right. And they don't, and they might not even know why yet you're 13, 14, 15. You don't really know what it is about you that makes you not fit in everywhere else on campus but he would just create this space where whatever that thing is that makes you feel weird or unwanted or uncomfortable everywhere else, let's explore it. What is that? You know, mm-hmm. for some kids, for a lot of kids in that space, it was being queer. For some kids, it was, you know, coming from a different um, ethnic background, different cultural background that people didn't understand. All of the exchange students that we had at my high school somehow ended up in that room because it didn't matter what made you different it was celebrated in that space and so that's that's the face that I see in that space I love it yeah Yeah, I love that wait so and you're from (laughs) New Orleans I am um what high school did you go to okay so now look this is the part where people from New Orleans are going to be like is she from New? listen now right (laughs) Right. listen you knew it was coming my bad I had to ask preface this by saying I was born at Charity Hospital okay Okay. so I am New Orleans but hashtag charity kids yeah woo you know, that's how you know. Yeah. We all got that same birthmark from that one mean nurse that just like, <laughs> um, but I actually went to high school. I went to part of my elementary school education through high school was in Jefferson Parish. So I graduated from Riverdale High School. Got it. Uh, where my mom also was, uh, she was employed at Riverdale High School for like 15 years, 16 years. So imagine going to high school and your mom's at the front office and knows every single thing that's going on. <laughs> Why wow, was that? Right. She's not missing you. <laughs> yeah, no, but I started out at I started out at Lusher and then ended up in um in Jefferson Parish schools for the rest of my education. Nice. All right. Y'all leave her alone. Yeah. Let her live. Let her live. Let her live. Nelson Street. You are from New Orleans. That right. is right. You know? Spruce and seventeenth ward, but then I then I had to go. (laughs) Got you. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, for the horticulture, like where the name uh, derived from? How did it start? Why now? Um, Moreover, like, what's your relationship with gardening? How did you get into gardening? Like, was it passed down to you? Was it something that you just picked up through the years? Like, take us to through like the journey of for the horticulture. Got you. So um, my journey with gardening starts right around the time that my son was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so my son is seven years old, was born in 2013, in January 2013. And I remember that 
when he, when I was pregnant with him, I had a lot of conversations with myself about the chains that I wanted to break and the things that I wanted to do differently in his childhood than were done in mine that were, that had been, you know, done in our community for the last mm-hmm. couple of generations, things that I wanted to get back to. And one of them was to, to nurse him as long as he wanted to. Right. Then I started right. having this conversation with myself, you know, if I am so adamant about breastfeeding and making sure that I'm eating healthy so that he's getting everything that he needs from me. What am I going to do when he's not breastfeeding anymore? Like, what am I going to feed him? What, what do I, what do I give him next? And so in researching all the baby led weaning and like what's in the foods and what's in the baby foods and this thing was recalled for salmonella, I had like a panic attack. I remember. And I was like, I have to figure out how to control better have a better understanding of where his food is coming from. I didn't know I was eating all this crap, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware yeah. until I realized that I was passing that stuff on to him. And I had this crazy idea that like, what if I could grow some of the stuff that he was going to eat? Like if the first couple of foods that he's going to eat, some soft vegetable situation, like what if I could just grow it at home? How, mm-hmm. how could that work? And of course, you know, you're, you're pregnant, your hormones are all over the place. I was on bed rest for like, I want to say like 12 weeks of bed rest. So you're sitting there with a notebook and a SVU marathon. You're like, I got to go do something. <laughs> so I went down to some of the restaurants in um, the neighborhood I was living in in Cincinnati. And I begged off some five gallon, you know, food safe buckets from them. And I said, can I have these buckets? I filled them up with dirt and threw some seeds in there and figured if I was going to be at home, I might as well try to see if I could grow something. And lo and behold, Mm -hmm. I actually grew food. And I was so fascinated with what a plant that was about to produce food that I was definitely familiar with, but I had never seen a bean plant before. I didn't know what a cucumber vine looked like before. I didn't know what tomato flowers looked like. Like the tomato that I'm about to eat is a flower first. Like this shit is fascinating. I nerded out (laughs) so hard. (laughs) And that's ever since then I've had a garden. And so we've moved a lot over the last seven years and every single place that we've moved, I've tried to make sure to be able to grow a little something. And then when we moved to the Bay area in 2015, the house we moved into had a raised, an empty raised bed in the Mm. backyard. And I was like, this is That was a sign, huh? I was like, yes. There was a plum tree back there. There was a fig tree. There was a maypop vine. It was already, to me, it was like the Garden of Eden. I had never lived Mm. anywhere where I could just walk in the backyard and there was, you know, perennial food available. And Kalik has grown up gardening. So when COVID happened this year and... All of my projects for work, I'm a, I'm a consultant. So I, I fly to my clients most of the time. So I'm, you know, in Chicago, New York, LA, Atlanta. Living out of suitcase. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so when I got grounded and <laughs> didn't know what was going to happen, um, I went out in my backyard and I realized the other thing too is that gardening has been such a great mental health mm. respite. Oh, yeah, I for can me. imagine. Mm-hmm. Just getting your hands in the dirt and like seeing something come from the hard work that you put into it. And in my line of work too, I work a lot of times in the ideation and innovation space, right? So sometimes it could be two, three, five years before a thing that you poured yourself into actually comes to fruition and you can yeah. see it out in the world. And in gardening, you plant a seed, you plant a bean seed, you got a bean plant in three days, right? You can see your work kind of coming to fruition. So that was, it was always a stress reliever for me. And when COVID happened, I kind of just went in the backyard and I said, look, (laughs) I ain't got nothing else to do. I don't know where my next check is coming from. I don't know what projects are going to be popping off here. Like it's looking real crazy. And instead of driving myself nuts, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to grow some food because if nothing else, we're going to eat, right? right, right. And that's kind of where For the Horticulture came from because I knew that so many other women in my community were in that same space. Yeah, I for sure started a garden during COVID. Yep, yep. 
And mamas used to making it happen, right? But then when all of these resources and avenues that you have for making things work for your family just get halted, there's a sense of anxiety and panic that can set in. And I saw so many people wanting to have this outlet, not only for you know, the, the produce and like the actual food, but just a mental place to go and to have some sort of feeling of safety and productivity. Um, and because I wanted to share that, I went, I just kind of went on my Instagram um, and asked all of my new followers after Blackout Tuesday, I said, since you guys are here, about 2,500 of y'all, if everybody gave me a dollar, I could build some gardens for some black women here in New Orleans. Mm. And okay. that was like a <clears throat> Wednesday. And then by the next Wednesday, we had $15,000. And wow. people under, it, was, it was so visceral. People understood the need, right? That I work right. in insight, so this was like incredible to me. People got it. They're like, people, these women need this, they want this, and I have a resource where I can actually help. So let me go ahead and give. And it was kind of incredible to watch. And I've seen your IG. Listen, you've been back there with the drill. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the bottom mitre <laughs> Listen, I, I was like, I'm not sure how to use that, but um, you're doing it. So um, yeah, that's amazing. I also think, you know, gardening is just so deeply rooted. It's sort of the here and now in terms of Mm. COVID, but it's so deeply rooted in our ancient history, right? I I always Mm. think about, you know, we're one, we're on stolen land, we're on Chittimacha land. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also, you know, black farmer land has also been stolen. And so, you know, when we think about sort of the agribusiness and how it's poisoned our food, you explained all that and really exploited our labor, uh, and really what happened was it forced black farmers out of the industry. When mm-hmm. we started thinking about, you know, sort of the start of the 20th century, one in seven farmers in the U.S. was black. And as, you know, we think about the decades that have followed, um, there's been 13 million acres of land that has been stolen and dispossessed from black farmers. Uh, 13 million acres. raging. 13 million acres. I mean, I I just can't believe it. It's just uh, when I saw that number, it really uh, hit home. Uh, And, you know, I think it's, it's critical both again in this very real moment that we're living now with COVID, but uh, also when I think about hundreds of years from now, it's critical that we're uh, sort of creating that spaces, growing our food and have our own soil. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it was just curious, you know, I know that you, um, you know, if you have any thoughts on that, but then also I know that you do work with uh, different collaboratives and, and know other folks in the same space. Just curious on, you know, what you all are thinking about and working on. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, sorry, I just went on a, a, like a mental tailspin here about how backwards it is that so much of that land has been taken when we are owed land, mm. right? Like, <laughs> that's the complete opposite direction for our country to be going in. But yeah, you're, you know, it's, 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 it is important for us to not only to have that land and ownership of that land, but to own that part of our culture. And I feel like culturally, I don't know about you guys, but you know, there's several generations in my own family and my close community where the, the conversation from the generations before us was I did X. So you don't have to go and be a lawyer, go and be a doctor, go and get, you know, your MBA. Um, And that was seen as success and fulfillment. And those things were done with love and they were done with our best interest in mind. But I feel like we've gotten so far away from some of the things that just make us feel good and whole and connected to our ancestors and, and, Horticulture is really one of those things, right? I feel so connected to who I am and who I came from when I'm out there in the dirt and thinking about, you know, sometimes just not even knowing where some of this knowledge comes from, where this passion comes from and realizing that that was passed down to me as part of my birthright as well. And I want, I want to start to cultivate a return 
to that mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and having that come with ownership and equity Yeah. when it comes to land. Um, I am actually working with a group of local leaders here in New Orleans. We formed an organization um, called the Coalition for Community Connection. And we have this model that we've been working on that we will be sharing with the city council next month as part of the um, innovation that's coming around the defunding of the police department. And there are things that need to be done with that money that are not directly related to criminal justice the way that Mm. we have historically seen it, right? That justice that we're looking for is a part of having right relationships with each other, right relationships with the land, and a right relationship within ourselves. And so the model that we have come up with, the Nourish model, um, incorporates not only edible landscapes in a lot of the communities where we see vacant lots, and we see abandoned buildings, but also lighthouses that we want to staff with um, community-oriented community members who are social workers, who are mental health uh, workers, who understand how to get resources inside of the community, uh, job creation, all of these things that can be done and should be done on the land that has been taken from us. Um, there's something... <sighs> There's something visceral about looking outside of your window at an empty overgrown lot or an abandoned house and feeling like you don't have the power to make that into something that's useful for your community. Right. And I think that that has gone on for way too long in New Orleans and a lot of urban centers. Like if there's a if there's a lot of if there's an empty spot of land in in a black neighborhood, in a Latino neighborhood and and no one is doing anything with it to edify or build up or uplift or resource the community, that should be given back to the people because we have what we need. We are who we need, but there's just certain resources that we have been separated from for too long. And I think it's time for those resources to be given back to the people who lost them because we know what to do with it. We do. So that's a good segue into my next question. Uh, Like the Black and Brown Get Down, much of your work revolves around creating safe spaces for our community to build together. Um, And also like our events here, a lot of it revolves around food. So why is food so important to building community? (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all, you know. What, that chicken plate? Food is food is life, literally and figuratively. Food is life. You know, there is something about breaking bread with somebody that makes it so easy to connect, right? When you get down to like this really bare bones human need of like sustaining yourself and sharing that with somebody, there's automatically a level of vulnerability that you have. There's also a level of joy if there's good food, right? We now have something in common. We now are recognizing something in common with each other. Not only do I need to eat and you need to eat, but I like this. You like this? This is delicious. Let's have a let's have a conversation. And I think mm-hmm. it just opens up so many doors to communing with each other that we didn't necessarily knew, know we had. Right? It's like the perfect icebreaker. Then you right, can have right. a conversation about anything else that you need to after that. Um, there's a reason why. So the house that I live in right now, I found out maybe six months after we moved here that Leah Chase used to live in this house. Mm. And- um, History. Talk to us. And I remember I I was in my kitchen one time very shortly after finding this out. Like she lived here, was I think it was her son's house. She lived here for a while. Um, and my neighbors were telling me that she served uh, gumbo on the front porch for Halloween one year instead wow. of giving out candy. And I was in my kitchen and I just said, you know what? Look, whatever it is that was in you that knew that that's what this neighborhood needed. Mm. If you could just sprinkle some of that on me, is that left on this stove, you know, on mm. these countertops, on this kitchen island? Like, I... I want some of that. Can I have, can I like borrow you as an ancestor? Like, can I have a little bit of that? Um, And, you know, Leah Chase knew what food could do. She fed 
the civil rights movement. She understood very, very clearly that the right food, the right sustenance, not only creates those spaces for conversation, but that energizes people. It it sustains people for what they have to do, right? Right, The joy that you get from a good meal makes you go, you know what? Some shit is worth fighting for. Like, because I want to be able to sit here and enjoy this meal in peace. I want to sit here and have this joy with you and not have to worry about what we have to do tomorrow. So let's go out there, do what we have to do, get what we have to get so that we can enjoy this in perpetuity, right? And I think that is really one of the biggest things that that food um, does for us. And then around all of that, around food, creating food, like just harvesting your own food that you have created for yourself is such a, it's like a message to your psyche, right? Like I am capable, I can do anything. I can make sure that I live, my family eats well, I can sustain my community. Being able to do that opens up your mind to other ways that you are capable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, you know, I've always loved to cook. Cooking is my, I, I used to cook for my mom when she would come home. My mom worked two jobs to make sure that I could do speech and debate in theater and buy my costumes and pay my, um, my entry fees for speech and debate. So I would come home after after practice and I would cook for her so that when she came home from her second job, she would have food to eat because food is a message. And -hmm. there's all sorts of ways, there's all sorts of messages that you can convey through food. It's definitely, y'all know I like to eat. Y'all know I I like to eat. I can can wax poetic about food all day. Food is, is everything. Listen, yo, you were spitting that too. Um, I actually is so I was on your Instagram. I was like, let me um, peruse through. Just scroll uh, on, yes, yes. And I saw okay, so you were on the Martha Stewart show. (laughs) (laughs) You were hanging out with Snoop's with Snoop's best friend, Uh, and uh, you talked about. So I just want you to like tell the people. Um, first of all, you talked about using mouthwash as a part of, you know, you know, I'm a plant mom, but I didn't even really understand what you were saying. So one, yes, run right. it, run it back. And then yes. two, are you still using ma- mouthwash for your plants? Even I after sure Martha told you, <laughs> no, <laughs> let me, let me, for those of you who haven't seen it yet. And I do, I encourage you go check it out on HGTV. Cause it, it was, it was, it was hilarious. So much fun. Yes. It was um, so much fun. But the, so the, the show, the, basically the premise was that I was supposed to share a tip or a trick and uh, see if Martha was impressed by it. Right. And you, y'all know it's hot as hell down here in the summer. Mm, it's, it's also so super hot. humid and it's hard for plants. If you're growing edible plants outdoors, it's a real struggle in the summer months to keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thing called powdery, powdery mildew and it's a fungus that like when when it's super hot outside and very humid, it's the right conditions for this fungus that basically overtakes your plant leaves and it blocks it from you know being able to photosynthesize. So you want to get that fungus off, but you also have to realize that your plant leaves are they're living. It's a living organism. You don't want to kill the fungus and kill your plant at the same mm. time. So there's a bunch of organic stuff that you could buy. There's a bunch of stuff that you could get off the market that costs like $15, $20 a bottle that you can spray on your plants, but mouthwash kills all the bacteria and the fungus in your mouth. Does it not? <laughs> wash your mouth. mouth. <laughs> wash your mouth out with the mouthwash. Right, so right. you put like one part mouthwash and three parts water in a bottle. You shake it up. You spray it on your leaves. It's gentle because if it's gentle enough to go on your body, it's gentle enough to go on your plants. But Come on, talk to us. The fungus in 24 hours. And I, I've saved like so many zucchini plants every mm-hmm. year with this mouthwash thing. Now the problem is, I told this to Martha, and Martha's uh, advice to us Southern gardeners out here in the humid uh, subtropical climate was perhaps we should get a fan for the- Right, garden. I was like- <laughs> Martha. <laughs> A fan. A fan, sis. Number one. Number one, you're not going to... Look, I'm already running the air conditioner 27 hours a day. You ain't about to run up my light bill 
with no fan out in the garden. We're not doing it. That's number one. Number two, we're blowing fungus spores every which away in the garden. Now everything is infested. Mm. It was it was a trip. The funny thing is, though, I was actually glad that she disagreed with me because when she, when I shared the tip across, when I shared like a little clip across all of my social media, the conversation that came out of that about the two gardening communities, if you will. It's folks right. who garden because they want a pretty flower garden and they, you know, they prune their roses and they have their gardener go out and, and check the soil acidity. Like that's, if that is your life, you go ahead and live it. I'm not going to begrudge you that. I grow so I can eat. I grow so my family can eat. Right. Mm -hmm. So whatever I got to do, y'all know how we, we rig some stuff up to make it work for us, how we got to oh, make yeah. it work. I'm find not a way or make one every 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 weekend and giving them my coins when I got Listerine in the bathroom already. OK, <laughs> right. I'm going to use what right. I got to make it work. And so the conversation that we had was really about how a lot the genius of of black and brown communities for to figure out, look, if we don't have, quote unquote, resources like that, we always figure out how to get it done. I got okay. something here that's going to make it pop. Okay, I got to make it shake one way or another. So if it's got to be the mouthwash, if it's the Tums, the Tums for the calcium deficiency, uh, popsicle sticks to write down the names of what the plants are and stick it inside of a little pot, I'm going to make it happen with what I got. And so it was a great conversation to have with our community about you don't need a thousand dollars to start a garden. Mm -hmm. You know, you need some of this com these camellia red beans uh, that you got in the pack. Four, five of them will grow you some plants all up and through mm. your backyard. Seriously. Some red bell peppers. My mom and then you got sister. red beans and rice. Yeah. However many Mondays you need, huh? <laughs> <laughs> all in perpetuity. My mom and my sister just grew like, I want to say it was something like three dozen bell pepper plants because after they cut up a red bell pepper, I said, don't throw the seeds away. Dry them out for a couple of days. Throw them in a pot. And like and and you know water them every couple of days, and now they have red bell pepper plants in the backyard where they won't have to go to the store after a while because they'll have six, seven perennial plants in the backyard. Use what you got. We have it. We have access to it. It's just the knowledge and the desire to turn what we have into what we want that I'm trying to inspire in in more people. I just want you to say perennial plants again. Perennial plants. <laughs> what does perennial plants mean, sis? A perennial plant is any plant that lives for more than two years. So uh, you have annuals okay. that you grow for one season, like a, a, in most places, a tomato or an eggplant, right? You can't grow it all year because eventually it gets too, co too cold for it to Got be sustained. It. Or the plant just doesn't have that kind of rigor. But a perennial plant will just continue to live or reseed itself in place for as long as you'll let it. Listen, if the people ain't taking away perennial plants <laughs> and the mouthwash for your edible plants, right? Like, I mean, listen, we've, we're giving the game away here at it's the Black and Brown Get Down podcast. Free. It's for free. So, I mean, you could keep giving Whole Foods your check uh, or you can get you a perennial plant, fam. Amen. So. <laughs> get into it um i just have I, one more question now. oh um, listen because i have one more too but get into it like Joe. so for the horticulture like can you can you give like how did you come up with that name um i know when i you know found out we were going to interview you i was like horticulture what is that so i started <laughs> looking, you know me I, I started googling stuff so like can you tell us like where the name der uh, derives from what, what made you come up with that name uh, so I, I work in marketing and branding, right? Okay. So like, I'm always, I'm, I'm trying to find the catchiest little, you know, a, a, a little bit of the, a little bit of what's trending and add right. something else to it and, and, you know, try to make it, try to make it mix like that. So for the horticulture for me was being able to blend, like, this is really about learning. Horticulture is a skill. Horticulture is an understanding a knowledge, a communication with 
nature so that you're able to grow your own food. You are able to take care of plants, right? And you're able to take care of plants so that the plants can take care of you. And a lot of times I, you know, all the plants that I work with um, are specifically about food production, right? They're edible plants or they're plants that are, you know, have culinary or medicinal uses and they support the edible plants. But horticulture also includes being able to plant the right kind of plants to make sure that the soil doesn't erode, right? Making sure that we're taking care of the environment and there's a sort of a symbiotic, you know, relationship going on in our, in our backyard ecosystems, right? So all of that is super important. But the reason that I care about it is for my culture. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get into what it means to be a gardener and to be a proficient gardener and to grow the most food, the best food, and preserve food until I realized that it was a way to build resilience and um, help my community survive and thrive. And so putting those two together is how I came up with For the Horticulture. All the horticultural stuff that I do is for the culture. This is for Black people first, it's for our communities to be able to take care of ourselves and to know mentally, spiritually, financially, we got us. Mm-hmm. And also, we got to make sure that we have the plants taken care of so we can have us all together. Right, right. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, I love that. Um, um, you know, I always talk about, you know, sort of this idea of us, both Black and Brown people, being... Uh, ancient and sort of the Mm -hmm. civilizations that we created and specifically all of the technology that we created in those civilizations was uh, really because we had our own land, we had our own space, but we also had our own food. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I think about us existing in the future is we have to sort of really be able to have land and have our own food. And so really thinking about sort of this piece around land and food sovereignty. And, um, you know, one thing that I'm learning as I'm, you know, learning more about sort of that in itself and also sort of gardening here at home is that a lot of our um, soil has lead in it here in New Orleans. Mm. Um, So I'm just wondering if you like you know, how, uh, when you, do you purchase all your soil? You know, uh, what does that look like? Um, how folks should, I know, you know, to get your soil tested, it's actually like a quite complicated thing, something you have to send back to a lab. And so, yeah, just any tips there for folks. So the, the, the conventional thing is that, um, I want to, I want to say it's the LSU agricultural system. Yeah that has the little boxes that you can, you can send them a sample of your soil. And um, in one of those, uh, it's like a prepaid USPS box that they have it all set up in. It's a little kit and you can, you know, you can give them a sample of your soil and send them to you and they'll send you back an analysis of it. I'll be honest with you guys. I got the box. I never sent it in. Why? Cause I was busy doing other stuff. I was actually outside growing and like, you know, taking care of my family and, and it's, it's a it's a it's another thing to add on to your plate. So while it's a great service, I also realize it's not necessarily practical for everybody. Um, the gardeners that I'm working with, I went through a lot of different prototypes of how do I get people who've never gardened before to be successful gardening, knowing things like. We don't know what everybody's soil is like. We don't know what, how much space everybody has. We don't know if you know they need to have their soil amended or not. Um, so I always champion container gardening for anybody mm-hmm. who is not sure that the soil that they actually have in the ground is safe to grow food in. Um, and container gardening is actually a lot easier all around because you got a little bit of protection from pests. You know exactly what kind of soil you're putting in there. You know exactly what kind of fertilizer you're putting in there. And if you make sure that you get the right kind of container, right, a food safe container, because it's going to be out in the heat. So you can't just grow in any piece of plastic because plastic leaches chemicals when it's hot. So you want to make sure you have a food safe um, container, but that makes it a lot easier to start growing without having to be scared of what you're growing inside of. 
Also, shout out to the composting network over on Old Gentilly uh, Road. That is a black owned compost and soil um, local business here. Oh, Brock, amazing. My man Brock over there is making compost out of the waste that we have here in the city, food waste. Um, and he makes a great raised bed mix that I have used in a lot of my container gardens and raised beds um, since moving back home to New Orleans. Oh, I love that. But so barring that, check him out. please do the composting network. And he's got this compost tea um, called like Brock's Mix that is amazing. It's just really good stuff. It's good stuff all around. You know what's so interesting that you're talking about tea? I just, I randomly had a question for you and I was mm-hmm. like, it fits nowhere, but I'm just wondering, are you like a tea time girl or are you a happy hour person? 100% <laughs> tea time. 100%. You know, something told me you are a tea person. Now, what's funny is I spent about an hour this morning making homemade wine for the first time. And if that if that pops off, I might be a happy hour girl as well. Okay, it, listen, if that pops her. off, I need to come <laughs> over uh, and get into some of this. Um, but I'm definitely a tea person. I, lemon balm um, is like my favorite tea to grow because you can just literally just pluck it. It's a, it's a kind of mint. You just pluck okay. a couple of leaves out of the garden and it will calm your entire life down. It's such a mm. good end of day. It's been a hard day. My mind won't stop racing tea. And that's the other thing I love about plants is plants are sustenance, but they're also medicinal. Mm. And people think of the medicinality of plants of being like, Oh, if you got high blood pressure or, Oh, if you have edema, you know, something has to be diagnosed wrong with you. And then we talk about plants as medicine, but plants are healing so that you don't get to a place where you need a diagnosis. Right. And so lemon balm is one of the things I tell anybody who feels like, Oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. I'm feeling anxious all the time. You need like seven lemon balm leaves, some hot water and some honey and you will be sitting on the couch like, what was I worried about? I'm good. Absolutely. And then you take a nap, you know, (laughs) and it's legal. Okay. Shout out to Oakland. Um, (laughs) You know, when when you move, when you move back below the Mason Dixon line, you gotta, you gotta get your medicinal plants in a legal way. Right. Elsewhere. Right. Listen, or we got to join uh, the fight to legalize. Hello? Um, yes. Yeah. As well. As well. Jump in my DMs if you're interested. Um, I'm about to send so, a message right now. Hold on. Right. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, we are so grateful for you. I know you're joining us for the rising ritual. So, uh, but before we get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for the this interview thank you for your time thank for, you for your uh yes for your genius like i fun to talk to i love people. love love this interview yes thank you yeah definitely thank you for for joining us crystal i'll be sure to uh jump in your dms because i think i'm a i'm gonna tap into some of this planning out here in the bay area yes. i'm getting tired of being stuck in my apartment and I got a patio, so I need to do something. So Such good yeah. I got you. <laughs> you gotta right, come man. uh come with the video, sis. Yeah, you know what? That's on that's on my list. Because the part of the curriculum that we're doing for For the Horticulture has a lot of video because COVID, we can't all be together all the right. time. So as right. I build up the video library for my gardeners, I'm gonna be making some of that stuff available to the public as well. Cause I want us all growing good and eating good. So if you want to follow along with For the Horticulture, we have a Facebook page. You can just go to fb.com slash For the Horticulture um, and find our Facebook page there. We're also on Instagram. That is For the underscore Horty, H-O-R-T-I underscore culture. Um, And then I'm on Instagram just as my weird planty self at at Ayana underscore plant (laughs) Zant. Love which it. is a nickname that my husband gave me. He was making fun of me one day and I said, I am going to use that because I will fix my life with plants. <laughs> um, so that's where you can find me on the, on the internet and come in, you know, ask me questions, share your tips and tricks and just see what I'm up to in the garden. Love it. Thank you. 
Thanks again to Crystal. And now we're moving on to the juice, the juice. We always highlight um, people in our community who are doing great work. Um, This week, we have something that uh, I know every time I've talked to a friend of mine, uh, when we get deep into the conversation, we cannot stop talking about um, Freedom Georgia. Freedom Georgia is 97 acres of now black, blackity black land. Uh, Right. Shout out to the 19 (laughs) families who purchased um, this uh, under, or like not even under, undeveloped land and Mm -hmm. unincorporated land in uh, Georgia, about 130 miles outside of Atlanta. And uh, they said they're going to call it Freedom Georgia. Freedom, Georgia. What? Come on home. <laughs> Listen, <Come> on. <laughs> right. I'm ready to come home. Freedom, Hello. Georgia. Um, I just think that this is like some of the dopest like work and like real visionary, you know, work that I've seen in a long time. And when you look at the folks who are doing it, I mean, they look like you know, the person down the street, you know, like it's, right, yeah. they were just like, yo, let's click up and let's put our money together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're around folks, you know, building and stuff like that, you know, um, that always comes up like, yo, let's, let's do a co-op. Let's, right. you know, let's buy some land together. And guess right. what? Then you never buy you no land together. Up. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, hold on. I don't know how much money you putting into this. But listen, oh, real oh. talk, these people came together. These 19 families came together and they bought right. 97 acres of land. Like, right. that's amazing to me. That follow through game is serious. So actually the whole website, um, uh sale.com so it was it was ran by this developer and actually some of my friends were circulating uh the website like yo like wouldn't it be dope if all of us got together and bought this some odd not what about not 100 acres of land and it was and initially it was like yo that would be a dope idea but then like like you said earlier it was never no follow through so it's good to see that this land went to uh, black people and people can you know be feel safe and build upon um yeah the land yeah i love that i mean i think land sovereignty is so important being oh, able cool. to you know own land and you know they keep saying that they want to really build a legacy and that they want that this you know land to be passed on from generation to generation but more so than that they want to be able to sort of say here is what's going to happen on this land and so they're working on farming they had this uh sort of big black camp out or something and you know all kind of folks came uh, to the space. And I just think that's beautiful. I, I love it. Uh, the one thing that made me feel like some type of way is they don't intend for this to be an all black city. Um, they intend for it to, uh, be pro black, I guess, in its values and, but open to, you know, folks who want to move in. My right, question allies, is, allies. right. Oh, I, I mean, I don't know. They didn't, did they specify allies? Yeah, they specify allies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. can we have, uh, can all of that happen and you have, you know, capitalism and white supremacy functioning right. through your structures yeah. and like, how does that work? Listen, I, I think it's all up in the air. I hope that they get some folks to help them think through this and like do some of that work together. Um, but yeah, I'm completely impressed. I, you know, uh, stand for them. I mean, I just, I can't say enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I like the fact too that they're saying they don't want to, they don't want this to take away from the protests that are going around, centered around like Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd, and, you know, the countless of, of victims that have fall victim, excuse me, ah, let me start that over. Sorry, y'all. So uh, what I also love is the fact that they're not trying to take away from the protests that are going around, such as for people such as, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and all the other victims of, um, you know, racial oppression in the whole system. So what they're really wanting to do is just to provide a safe 
space for outside of those, pro- those protests for people to come, um, you know, heal. Uh, they're going to have a lot of uh, training programs such as economic development and things of that nature. So I, I just implore everybody to just kind of just tap in and see what they're trying to do. Um, and, you know, hopefully it'll be a catalyst for change in other parts of the world, you know, because some people don't want to go down to middle Georgia. <laughs> like some yeah. people want to do it in California, Louisiana. Yeah, and then do you know, it in California. And Yeah, right. absolutely. And like learn, like figure out one, what part, uh, what native land you're on. Right. And, yes. you know, just really trying to be uh, aligned with uh, how we're really supposed to be taking care of the land. You mm-hmm. know, we had Crystal earlier. One of the things that she said was like, you take care of the land, the land takes care of you. Right. And I just love that. I think that's an important principle. And I know these folks in Freedom, Georgia, are, are thinking about that because I heard them say that. And uh, I just think that they are some visionaries. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say enough. I love them. Right. Thank y'all. Yeah. They, and like, it was like two sisters, right? Yeah, um, yeah, Nicole yeah. And like, you know, them, and I can't remember the first, the other one. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I think one of them was a real estate agent. So, you know, yeah. tap into those resources. Tap, talk to, you know, these real estate agents, these brokers and stuff. See what you can start in your own community. Um, and then also like the public health side of me is really, you know, we had Crystal on. She was talking about growing your food. I'm interested in see what they're able to do in this land. Like, Will we see a decrease in like high blood pressure? Will we Mm. see a decrease in other uh, issues that, you know, health, excuse me, health disparities or whatnot. So yeah, like, man, I'm all for this. I'm excited. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. Right. Exactly. So um, congratulations to the Freedom Georgia initiative. Uh, We love y'all and we're sending you love. And like every episode, we have the rising ritual. You know, the rising ritual, we believe that uh, it is so important for us to have ritual, tradition, ceremony in our daily life. Uh, It's not something that we just go to once a year or... Um, something that we have every so often, but it's something that we can implement into our lives. And it's something that we need to learn so that we can uh, practice in our daily life and pass down from generation to generation. And so I am excited to welcome Crystal back for our rising ritual this week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So talk to us. What do we have? So um, one of the rituals that I love that I feel serves a dual purpose of bringing me peace and bringing me a sense of calm. Um, and also that I feel is actually really beneficial to my plants as well. Um, is on, on Saturdays, I have a cleaning ritual as I think a lot of us in black and brown communities have. You get up, you put on some music and you clean up the house. And after my space is all clean, I light a candle, I light an incense, I get my singing bowl out. You guys mm-hmm. familiar with singing bowls? Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually use my singing bowl in the vibrations and that that beautiful sort of um, melody that that creates. And that kind of, to me, denotes I'm done cleaning. I'm done clearing away the mess of the week. And this is my time. And then I just listen to my music after doing that. I do it around my plants and I listen to my music and I water my plants. They each get a spray, certain ones with the, the spray bottle. I do bottom watering with some other ones, but it's my time to like spend time with them individually mm-hmm. and meet their individual needs and think about what are my needs? Like, what do I need to do to unwind at the end of this week? What about this week was difficult? What about this week is worth celebrating? And it's just kind of the way I like to kick off my Saturdays to make sure that I make the weekend a real thing. So I think weekends are starting to erode, right? As yeah. our as our work week and our work days sort of bleed into our evenings. Past dinner time, we're up answering emails, shooting off a quick, you know, message. Um, and our weekends have become sort of an extension of that. And that to me is a ritual that's really important that lets my mind know it's now time for you to take care of yourself. Um, and so I absolutely love that. 
I have to try that this weekend. It sounds so peaceful. It is. It is. And my, my son gets into it. He likes to be the singing bowl person every now and again, and he'll play the singing bowl. He's gotten really good at it. Like it's, it's a, it's a task to like, you have to relax into it too. Mm -hmm. I love rituals that force your mind and your body to cooperate with each other. You can't really do the singing bowl well until you calm your mind enough to have that fluid motion, right? With your wrist. And so it makes you calm your mind down so that you can do it. And so I've been teaching my seven-year-old how to do it. And he'll do that while I'm watering the plants and like spritzing them off. And it's a cool thing that we can do with each other. And then when we're done, it's like, all right, it's time for us. What do we want to do with the rest of the day? Mm, Love it. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. Um, And there you have it. Get y'all a singing bowl (laughs) and um, look and jump on somebody's uh, IG. You know, now everyone's going to be on uh, live with their singing bowls. Right. I learned this on the podcast. Right. (laughs) And a singing bowl. Right. (laughs) I love it. Look, make sure you you tag her. Make sure. Um, but I love that. So thank you so much. And, uh, we are grateful for you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you guys and getting to know you better. This has been a a really great opportunity and I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the black and brown get down subscribe and download on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the episode. And if you didn't enjoy the episode, we don't want your rating. Uh, (laughs) 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 Um, Slide in our DMs. If you have any questions uh, or want to recommend a guest, follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at the black and brown get down. Thank you all so much. Bye. Peace and blessings y'all. Thank you.